Hey everyone, welcome to Super Women. Today's guest is the incredible Nancy Cartwright. You might know her for being most famous as the voice of not only Bart Simpson, but so many of the incredible characters in that iconic show. She is also a painter, a sculptor, a filmmaker, and a huge philanthropist. She recently released her audiobook, I Am Still a Ten-Year-Old Boy, where she talks about all the things that you need to know about lessons she learned, how she got to where she got to, and incredible tips for success. She first got her start on the Tracy Almond Show. I guess if you're born in the 80s, it's probably the only way you've ever heard of this show. And then intended to audition for the role of Lisa Simpson, but actually got the part for Bart. So take a listen to hear about her incredible rise, how she continued to create, innovate, and also just her evolution as an artist. Take a listen. Nancy, I'm so excited to be talking to you, to be interviewing you. You were a staple for me growing up listening to you, and I've gotten to know you a little bit throughout the years. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Rebecca, for having me so much. I am you know, I, I took a little time and listened to some of your your interviews, and I feel so honored to be positioned with all these like incredibly successful women. So, um, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, you, you no doubt belong belong in the halls of these all these incredible women that I feel lucky to interview. <laughs> so, you know, The Simpsons were a staple in my house growing up, and it, it you know it wasn't until I was a teenager I think that like I found out wait this was a woman doing Bart's voice. But I'd love to hear about your early years and how you got into that role. Oh, you don't mean like when I was seven or eight years old. You mean like when I got cast as in in the part? Well, leading up to it, did you know you wanted to you know? go into that work? Had you been auditioning? And and then how did that all come to be? You know, Rebecca, it's a bit of a Cinderella story. I feel, um, I feel so privileged. I really do. I, as a kid, I just, you know, when I was a kid, I loved telling jokes. I loved doing kind of children's theater. And then I did uh, junior class play, senior class play. Mainly the thing that really triggered it for me was, um, not a very good word. I shouldn't use that word. It's really kind of more the thing that inspired me or encouraged me, catapulted me into voiceovers was I was on the speech team and I competed telling humorous stories, lots of children's stories and, and doing six, seven characters and making people laugh um, and getting big trophies. My brothers were getting little league trophies and, and, you know, soapbox derby (laughs) trophies and ribbons and stuff. And I would bring home first place in humorous interpretation. (laughs) But (laughs) I got this comment. I started getting these comments from the judges saying to me things like, you've got such a unique voice. You should do voice. You should do cartoons for a living. And I was like, wait, what the hell? Are you kidding me? Like it never occurred to me, Rebecca, to, I mean, I was only, I was like 16 at the time, 15, 16 years old. And it never occurred to me what I wasn't thinking about what I wanted to do for a living. I was having fun. I was on the speech team. I was the I was a gymnast. I was um, in the marching band. I was in choir. I was, I mean, was just having too much fun at school. Who cares about what I want to do for a living? But these judges planted this seed and I started to go, hmm, there might be something here. And this led to, gee whiz, me, I ended up getting a job at a radio station, local radio station in Kettering, Ohio, just south of Dayton. And W-I-N-G, winging it in Dayton, if you can imagine, home of the Wright brothers. So there I am working at Wing Radio, filling in for people that went on vacation, doing a lousy job in in the finance department. I was horrible with with all that, sending out, you know, bills and things. And um, But I got to do some PR and marketing for the station. And my boss, who knew that I was interested in cartoons and communication, got me on the air in the afternoon with a drive-time disc jockey. And I created this character that became a gimmick for the station just vocally. Apparently, I was the uh, lifeguard of the imaginary swimming pool that every radio station has when they're, you know, (laughs) playing music and reporting on the weather and the news. 
Wait, and I you, need to hear this voice. Do you still remember it? Yeah, I do. She was a little bit of a, she was a precursor kind of like a, like a, an early relative to Bart Simpson, but okay. little, she was kind of, my voice is a little tight today, by the way. It's um kind of one of the hazards of the industry, but um, I will give it a shot. So, so she's got a little thing too going on maybe with her throat, but she'd be like, Oh, there's an olive. There's an olive that's stuck in the, you know, in the filter. We got to get that olive out of the pool. All right, everybody. <laughs> Rest period's over. You know, it was just a silly, her name was Lily Pad. And uh, just, and he would, he would push like a, a cassette that would have sound effects of people diving into the swimming pool and the, the sound of a martini being poured. And it was just, it was silly. And I, but I lived for that, you know, 10 minutes on the air with Ken Warren in the afternoon. And one day this woman from Warner Brothers music came in and I wasn't into to music. I, I mean, I was working at the radio station and I loved music and stuff, but it was the voice thing. It was doing the commercials and um, doing PSAs and me being on the air that interested me the most. But she was promoting music from Warner Brothers but Warner Brothers to me meant Mel Blank. It meant, you know, it was like uh, Tweety Bird and and Bugs Bunny, and he did all these voices. And I'm like, wow, maybe she knows, maybe she knows Mel Blank. Long story short, it wasn't Mel Blank, but she ended up helping me tremendously. She gave me her business card, and I wrote her, and I sent her a little bit of a demo that I threw together. I had no idea how to do it. It was like. 14 minutes long, Rebecca, and a, and a demo is like a minute and a half or two minutes tops today. It's like 14 minutes was ridiculous. But the cool thing was I didn't have anybody telling me you can't do that or that's not how it's done or don't listen or you've got to be kidding me. No, I just did what I felt was right and I put this thing together and it was kind of cheesy, but you know what? So what? It worked. Because she wrote me back, and in this letter, she had several names of like people from Buena Vista, from Walt Disney, a Disney company, from um, a guy, a, a fellow by the name of Dawes Butler, who she said was the voice of Roadrunner, but that wasn't true. Um, and I thought, who is this guy? And I come to find out he's the voice of Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear, Quick Draw McGraw, Elroy Jetson, Baba Louie, Cogswell Cog, Peter Potamus. I'm not reading this. I swear. I like this guy, again, cutting to the chase here, became my long distance mentor. And I would send cassettes in the mail to him of scripts that he wrote. And I'd put my voice on tape and mail it to him. And then he would give me a little critique on another cassette tape and mail that back to me. And this went on and I'm realizing, wow, wow, this is cool. I can't believe that I've got this teacher and look who he is. And he's encouraging me. And I told him, I want to move. I want to move to California. I want to be with you. And he said, well, I'm a little concerned, you know, that you just stop what you're doing. You're doing so great because I'd gotten a scholarship at Ohio University. I'm a con little concerned about you moving to the big city. And I said, oh, no problem. I'll transfer to UCLA. It's right down the street from you. And that's what I did. And I got accepted. And so that was it. I moved to California and would catch the bus on Sundays and drive it into, you know, ride it into Beverly Hills and hop off and walk a couple blocks to his house and spend the afternoon taking a lesson. And that's, that's kind of my meager beginning. I, you know, it was um, humble and earnest. And I'm like, wow, I just did what I loved, you know? I, I love that it was a Cinderella story, but clearly you had talent and you didn't just end up doing the voice for Bart. You ended up doing so many of the voices that are iconic. Nelson, Ralph, Todd, <laughs> Maggie, like you, you like yeah. spanned it. Um, what was some of the challenges of taking that on and, and being, you know, there's obviously the great thing that comes with success and the rise, but there's also sometimes challenges. What was, what were some of the more challenging moments when, you know, it went from the Tracy Allman show, which I watched religiously to the symptoms and then, and then from there. Yeah. I, to be honest, it's like, they, they really, um, 
they were kind of reinventing the wheel here. I was the only actress that was cast on the show whose purpose was doing voiceovers. And uh, I just, you know, uh, Dan, all the other actresses, Dan and Julie were on the Tracy Ullman show on camera. You remember them, like very improv trained and um, interested in doing movies. And Julie, both of them had worked on camera already. Hank wasn't, uh, he wasn't cast until uh, season two, I think, of the, um, of the show. But I had been doing voiceovers for about six, seven years. And I had done My Little Pony, Glow Friends, Snorks, Pound Puppies, Snorks, uh, I already said that, uh, Galaxy High. I had done all these, these, these Saturday morning syndicated shows. And here I am. And they, because Tracy Ullman was so successful, they spun it off into a show of its own. And I saw what they were doing. And it's like it was taking two hours to, to record, you know, 30 seconds or a minute which was, I thought, kind of ridiculous. Um, that, was on the, that was on the Tracy Ullman show. And then when we went to the half hour, it would take all day to, to get 21 minutes. It would take like from 10 in the morning till six at night to get, you know, 21 minutes of, of record done. But the smartest thing, Rebecca, I think that I did was I kept my mouth shut because I didn't know this is a new group and I am just going to keep my mouth shut and not going to be Nancy know-it-all. And I am so glad in retrospect that I did that because I kept my job. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like you- I feel like sometimes people get into a job and they think that, Oh, I got the, I got the new shiny job. I'm going to change it and do it my way. But I think like what you're saying is stop, listen, take stock see what's That's happening right. and then, you know, figure out how to, how to keep it going if it's working. Yeah. right. That's so right. And so here we are doing this. And typically I had all this background of going in and auditioning for all these other shows. And typically a voice actor will present um, a number of choices. Like my idea of what a 10 year old boy is my idea, but you, you know, as a producer, producer would have a different idea. The director might have a different idea and they might just throw ideas at me or say, look, I got another choice. And versatility is definitely the name of the game. If I can give options and especially then to show that I can change my opinion and not be stuck on one sound, that I can change that up. That was something that I found out. So this became very um, helpful to me when like in see, uh, that first season that we, we only did 13 episodes that first season of The Simpsons Half Hour. But next thing you know, I am being cast as a voice of a bully whose name is Nelson Munz. And there was no audition, Rebecca. It's like I got the script the night before the table read. And I'm like, who is this guy? There's no, wow, are they just going to, I'm cast as him? And that's how it turned out. It was like, by the skin of my teeth, it's like I went in there and that's how I got Ralph, you know, Nelson, Ralph, Todd, Kearney, Database. There was no speaking for Maggie. Um, Ralph Wiggum, it's like I gave them these different characters and they're all these different boys. But the trick is not to make them sound alike. How do you do that and not make them sound and or b- kind of blend into each other? And you know, at the beginning was, yeah, that 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 was that was probably the greatest challenge that I had. And next thing you know, I'm wow, I'm playing seven voices on this amazing show, and I didn't get fired from any of them. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, thank God and lesson learned. I think that's such a valuable lesson to have known so early you know, versus getting fired and being like, oh, I should have kept my mouth shut. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I I did see it happen. I think the guys at the top, the executives, they were really looking for an ensemble. They really wanted about six of us. This is just, this is my viewpoint. This has not been confirmed, but they wanted an ensemble of actors that could play, well, the whole city of Springfield for crying out loud. It's like amongst us, we do about 150 characters and uh, and a lot of those don't have names, by the way. It's like a receptionist, a nurse, you know, a cop, 
it's like we're, we're, we're labeled a title instead of an actual character. But regardless, that's the challenge is to come up with a unique sound. Um, and there can be some crossover in some of these extraneous characters. There's not going to be comparisons on that. But the core group, they all have to be very specific and individuated. Yeah, that makes sense, especially if you're doing the voices for all them so that, you know, no one would have ever known that that was all you, you know? You know, for years, it's like, and at the beginning, we didn't get a lot of press. The actors got zero press at the beginning because, and we all understood this, we are not the stars of the show. It's the the characters. It's the family. It's Homer, Marge, Bart, Lisa. It's, It's the characters of Springfield that are the stars of the show. But because it became such a kind of an overnight success, I would say, or maybe a 13 episode success, by the end of that first season, we were definitely on our way. Although I didn't really know that. I didn't really settle into saying, oh, we're a hit. Oh, my life is, you know, I don't have to worry anymore. I've got 30 more years of doing this show. You know, nobody had any fucking clue like that we would still be on the air after all these years. And it was always negotiation time was horrible. It's not fun for anybody. It's like nobody wins in a negotiation. And anybody out there listening, whether you're in entertainment or you're not working out contracts and working there, it's just, it is just such a, it makes you feel like, it just makes you feel like doo-doo. I'm telling you, it minimizes your abilities. Getting into the your what what is your perceived value? And um, one time they had, I love that the Simpsons did this. They did, you know, the chalkboard. They wrote on the chalkboard. I what did it say? Something like, "They cannot pay me what I am worth." <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> They also did, I am not, I am not a 32-year-old woman, and then eventually, not that long ago, I am a 64-year-old grandmother. (laughs) Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's been a long journey. How long has this, how long have you been doing this? And then my follow-up to that is what made you decide to go out? You've published a book, which we're going to get into. You're an incredible artist, painter. At what point do you say, okay, I've got some other things in my back pocket. I'd like to expose these to the world. Wow. Well, honestly, it wasn't all that long ago. There was, I had, gee whiz, in 19, I have to preface this a little bit, but before I was cast as Bart Simpson, I'm going to take you way back to 1985. I was in an acting class and I had, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing scenes from, from, um, Streetcar Named Desire and from, uh, Children of a Lesser God and, you know, doing scenes from movies that I, of, of actresses that, that I admired and I was turned on to or introduced to Federico Fellini. And I started looking at this one particular film called La Strada. And I got to tell you, Fellini's a little dark. 
I don't particularly care for like the stuff that he does. It, 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 I, I was inspired by it, by Lestrada because it was about this young woman that was a, a clown in a circus and she was kind of beat up and abused. There was a, an abusive, um, another guy that, that she, he kind of, she became his concubine. He never married her and she was the clown and got him a lot of attention. He was the strong man played by Anthony Quinn. And I watched that movie and I started putting up scene after scene in my acting class. And I was so enthralled by this that I thought, wow, this is going to be, I'm going to, this is going to be a game changer because I want to get the rights to produce this as a full length play. So I put up every scene in the class, casting different people in the different parts. Then I realized, wow, I got to get the rights. How am I going to do that? So anyway, I end up taking off and I, I find a friend. We're going to go to Italy to find Fellini. I had his address of his office in Italy and I wanted to go and meet him. No small task, but I, I mean, again, nobody's saying you can't do that. I just kind of, I did what I wanted. And, and by the way, this was before the Simpsons. I was making a living, but I didn't own a house yet. I was living in an apartment. I had a dog. I mean, it's like minor responsibilities, but nonetheless, my girlfriend the night before backs out. And now here I am. I'm in my 20s, blonde hair. It's not it's not tourist season, but man, I got a lot of attention. I got a lot of attention over there. And I ended up, I ate, drink, I, I ate, drank, and fell in love when I was in Italy. I took a whole tour. I, I flew into Milan. My luggage went to Frankfurt, Germany, and I'm kind of buying myself. And I'm like, gee, how do I get along here? And Rebecca, I had the wildest adventure and really more like an odyssey because it was just, geez. So I come back and I had this amazing adventure when I was there. I came home and I realized my story is much better to tell than a remake of Fellini's La Strada. So I started to develop this as a, as a one-woman show, not a play, but a one-woman show. But years had gone by. I'd fallen in love. I got married. I had a couple of kids. So by 1995, The Simpsons was a hit. And I'm raising my kids. And I'm thinking, gee whiz, what happened to my dream with La Strada? What am I going to do here? I've got the outline for a, for a, a one-woman show. So I, I ended up doing it. I co-wrote it and mounted it in Hollywood. And it got a, a bunch of awards and then people kept saying, you should do this as a movie. But I'm like, Jesus, God, I'm not, a, I, I can't do that. I'm not, I don't have any connections in, in making movies. How do I do that? I don't even, how do, I don't speak Italian. Shoot this thing in Italy. How are we going to do this? So it's a little bit of a rocky, a rocky story because 20 years goes by. And by now the Simpsons were still on the air. This is like 30 years later, you know, and um, I've got power now. I'm in a different place in terms of an artist. And I'm like, I'm fucking doing this. So I collaborated, wrote this thing. And um, we shot two weeks in Cleveland, Ohio, and seven weeks in Milan, in Venice, and in Rome. And I'm telling you, it was, if it was only for the fact that, like, I got to do this thing and make make this dream come true, I... It was such a passion piece, but it got a lot of attention at the uh, festivals, got nine acknowledgments at these festivals and Maria Bella stars in it along with Ksenia Solo and Marilyn Reiskub. You can see it. You can get it on Amazon and you can get it across the, uh, the platforms and stuff. I'm very, very proud of it. So that was a long way of answering your question. How did it, uh, you know, what opened up the door to doing all these other things that I do right now, but that was the catalyst that I said, I am far more capable. And I had just, I got a little bored and I feel like there's so much more to me that has not been tapped. And I think we all have that. We all have this ability. I think it's innate in us as beings that we can tap into. And I think it takes a little, it takes a little courage but the obstacles you have to overcome can be overwhelming. And you just got to say, 
you know, fuck the physical universe. I'm going to do this. I don't care what other people say. I can do this and I'm going to do it. And geez, surround yourself with people that know more than you do. And I think that's a good way to start. I love that. And I love the burst of energy with which you described that is a microcosm, right, of what it takes. You need to apply that same energy that was in your voice and disagreeing with what's in front of you in order to make that happen. Yeah, because I'll tell you, the world and people, there are people out there, there are definitely people out there, I believe, that don't want you to do well. They don't. They don't. want. And the, the more, the happier you are, the more successful you are, and it's, it's, it's not a very big percentage of people, but there's a small percentage of people, and especially in Hollywood, by the way, it's like, it is, that is not a very supportive um, a very supportive industry. It's very self-serving. And, uh, if you can find a group of people that can back you in terms, emotionally back you and support you, and, um, they're not competing with you, but rather they are supporting your dream because maybe it aligns with their own dreams and these are big concepts that I'm throwing at you, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I'm, I love the idea of helping people and, and encouraging people through conversations like we're having right now, you know, through my own experience that I can perhaps lift somebody or give them hope that they can, that they can uh, do the same. In the book, I mentioned uh, I've got a whole chapter towards the end of the book, and it's called Six Salient Steps for Successful Survival. And I go into detail on it, and it's just kind of like I only talk about six of them because I figure like, you know, um, I thought maybe if there were only six that you might get successful a little bit faster. So, So that's why I only do six. Because of the, also because the alliteration, some people out there saying, I don't even know what salient means. You know, salient is like super simple. I could have said super simple, six super steps, six super simple steps for getting a successful step. I can't even say it. (laughs) Six super simple steps for successful survival. There you go. Say that. Oh my God. That's a tongue twister. (laughs) Six super steps for success and survival. Uh, six salient steps to successful survival. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Good. And, but yeah, and I go into, I mean, super simple things like, you know, do what you love, be a professional, find a mentor, or at least, you know, find somebody that, that can, inf- that you, who you, su- who you support. And in terms of an influencer, surround yourself with people who believe in your dreams, trust your instincts. That's a big one. Trusting your instincts. And, uh, and the last one is that change is possible. A lot of people are kind of stuck in their own, they're stuck in a pa- in a pattern and they just go round and round. And um, I'm not going to settle for that. I, I, I think change is possible, but you have to have, you know, you have to have ganas. You have to have cojones in order to like, in order to change. You have to recognize it and you have to make that decision to change. You, you can't just think that things are, yeah, great. She's Bart Simpson. She makes a lot of money. I think she's really successful. Like, what does that really mean to be successful? I, I, I money to me, money has very little to do with it. It has more to do with what are your dreams? What are your goals? What is it that you're trying to do? Like, and, and, and I don't even mean for a job. I mean, this lifetime, we're not here in this body for that long. You know what I mean? It's like it's a short time. You figure 100 years is exaggerating because, geez, you got to be about 10, 10, 15 years old to get going, to start learning how to walk, <laughs> for crying out loud. And then later on, things kind of slow down again. So you got a chunk of time, you know, 50, 60 years to like really to leave an impression. And that's something that's important to me. I love the idea of leaving a, leaving an impression with our culture, you know, and anyway, that's, 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 that's one of my goals to continue doing that. 
I love that. And it, and it's so true. You know, I tell the story, probably people are sick of listening to it, but when I, you know, moved to New York, had no money, you know, couldn't afford to eat out, go out. I was so fueled, let's say at the time by my work and the rewards of my work that that was the pay, right? The experience of all this was the pay and money. Don't get me wrong. Money is nice, but money is not the goal right? That, that's something you do because you enjoyed so much what you produce, what you put out there, that money money is, um, is part of it, but not the end product. Hey, listen, between not having money and having money, I'll take the money. But money, money brings you other, it just brings you different problems, other things to overcome, friends, how they treat you, family, how they treat you. It's like these things, it starts to change when you become financially successful. So it takes a, it takes a, what's the word? A compa- it takes a, an astute compassion and care to recognize that, y- that you're changing and, and you're starting to, to make these dreams come true. And then to recognize how do you, how do you now handle your life in this, in this new condition it's something that it was, I was not so great at it. I had to learn and I learned a lot from my mistakes. So you met, you talked about what's in the book, but what is the name of the book? Uh, where is it available? What else if people are like, you know, I know her and love her because I, she was the voice of my teenage and childhood, you know, yeah. tell me. Sure. Uh the name of my book, by the way, is I'm Still a 10-Year-Old Boy. And it's just, it's seven hours and two minutes. It's very listenable if you take a long trip, you know, in your car. Um, and I've got I've got all these clippings, um, these voice clips of Meryl Streep and J.K. Simmons. Uh, I've got Elizabeth Taylor and, and uh, Kirk Douglas and um, even Dawes Butler, my mentor, there was a, there's a couple of clips of him talking to me at the very beginning before I moved from Ohio and he's talking to me and he's giving me advice. And then I came across his, his family gave me the cassettes that I sent to him. So I got to edit this together and put it in my audio book. And it just, I'm like 19 years old talking to Dawes Butler. And honestly, Rebecca, I kind of don't even sound like myself. I, I sound like maybe, maybe I could have been my own daughter. My voice is a little higher and it's not even so much the sound of my voice, but I'm so, this is before I knew anything about the industry. This is before I found out what some obstacles, finding out obstacles that I had to overcome. How do I create yet another voice that doesn't sound like Bart Nelson, Ralph Kearney, Todd Database, Chucky from the Rugrats, you know, uh, Todd Daring from the Replacements and these characters that I've established over the years. Those became great challenges to me. It's like I didn't know any of that back then. So there is a naivete. There's an innocence in my voice that just kind of like kind of really um, threw me when I heard it. And I thought I got to put that in the audiobook. By the way, it's not a hardback book. It's only available. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Audible. Definitely can get it on Audible. You can get a subscription to it. Um, yeah, super fun. You know, I'm, I think it's very fitting that it's only audio, you know, considering what, what you've been most most known for. So I love I love that as just a just a twist on everything, right? You know what? That's exactly why I did it that way. See how smart you are. It's like, why would I put this out and have somebody read it when the author, you know, and I get to throw in, don't have a cow, man, and eat my shorts, and whoa, mama, and the thing about huckleberries is, once you've had fresh, you'll never go back to canned. And when I grow up, I could be a principal. <laughs> I get to do all that stuff. No extra oh charge. God. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, so one thing I did want to ask you, because I feel like there was a seismic shift within the entertainment industry where it went from people that were hired because of their incredible and unique voices to now celebrity, right? It, you, yeah. It's almost, you know, it's The Rock. It's 
you know, you know the voice so well that that is now the character in the cartoon. And I'm curious, has that changed your uh, your path and your career? Has it been the same because you're such an icon and a legend within the industry? But what, you know, what do you see happening there? Well, that is an awesome question. And I did notice that. And way before I got cast as Bart, it's like there were definitely celebrities that were cast because they're celebrities, not because they were trained in doing voiceover work. And I, I don't mean to, I don't want to throw them under the bus. You know, I get it. Now that I'm a producer, I really get it. There's value in that. It is in it, its dollars and cents. It's like, how can they make their money back? And that's by casting people like, um, like Jennifer Aniston, like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, like, you know, people that aren't necessarily trained in, in doing, and they're hired the rock that, you know, the rock actually, he can, he can, he, he changes. He, he, he manipulates his voice to come up with a rougher sound. You follow what I'm saying, but it's like, this is about dollars and cents, but there's a, there's a payoff though, or there's a backflash, whatever you want to call it. I still have my anonymity. I can go anywhere today. It, it doesn't matter where I am. The Simpsons has been on the air for 32 years. And it, it's like, it doesn't matter what part I, I can still get on an airplane. I can still take a bus. I can still do, well, I don't take buses that often, but I'm just saying I could. And people would not be asking for my autograph. They wouldn't be coming up to me at a restaurant. You know, I get to choose. I get to have, I get to be causative of if and when I want to reveal to a 25-year-old waiter at a restaurant in Hollywood who I'm looking at this kid and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, this kid is a fan because I can smell him a mile off. I can see it. They don't recognize me, but I go, he fits the demographic perfectly. So we're just chit-chatting as, you know, as my friend uh, or my date, uh, which I haven't had in eight years, I'm just saying, um, <laughs> uh, we're sitting there trying to figure out what to order on the menu. Um, I'll be chatting to him and say, Hey, I'm just curious. I said, uh, do you, are, are, are you, are you an actor by any chance? And they'll either say yes or no. A lot of times it's actually no. Oh, what, what do you want to do? What, what are you interested in doing? And I'll just start a conversation with this unlikely you know, I'm going to call him an unlikely suspect because next thing you know, I'm I'm kind of like interviewing him and we're just having this conversation. And then it just kind of very easily comes out and I'll say, well, uh, just don't have, and then I ask him what shows he watches. And so, uh, so, oh, you watch, you watch any animation? Yeah, I do. What do you watch? Oh, I watch la da 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 Oh, so have you ever, you've heard of the Simpsons show? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. And that's all I will do is just throw out a line and sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't. It's like throwing pasta on the wall. Sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. I'm trying to get it al dente. I want to get it fresh. And sometimes this guy will look at me and he'll go, wait a minute. Whoa, hold on a second. I'll say, what? He'll go, you're not. Oh my God. I'll say, hi, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? Oh, and this guy totally loses it. I'm telling you, Rebecca, it is, that's what I live for. That is like, there's nobody that could have told me 30, 40, I've been doing it actually 42 years, voiceovers for 42 years. Nobody told me back then, by the way, you know, the best thing that you're going to get, money can't buy it because you're going to be able to do voices for people and it's going to be their favorite characters and you're going to make them laugh and smile and you're going to make their day. And I'm telling you, that is it's priceless. It's it's just priceless. I just love that after 42 years, your enthusiasm is infectious and it's, it's, you know, the desire to keep creating is so strong. And so I'm so grateful for that because, listen, I'm sure you've had the downs, but you have revived yourself each time and gotten back up. So, oh yeah, you have a resilience to you and you've had some challenges. You, you kind of touched on one, but were there any other moments where you felt, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? And then you, you then felt, okay, I'm going to be resilient. And how'd you do that? 
Yeah, there were several things that happened, and I touch on most of them in the audiobook. Oh, but good. So, so everyone has to just buy the book. Forget yeah, it. Don't even yeah. answer. Just tease them. Yeah, and I still am. <laughs> I still am a 13-year-old boy because as far as I know, we're going to be back in production here very shortly. And it's in, in Knockwood. It still goes on. But um, it's but not. But I thought you said you were a 10-year-old boy. Now you're saying you're 13? Oh, whoops. That rem- but that's because there was a there was a video that, that I did just for fun. And it, it just, it, it, if you put Nancy Cartwright, 13-year-old boy, it'll pull up the most like a hilarious video when I surprised this kid. Sorry about that. No, I'm still a 10-year-old boy. My bad. Okay. Perfect. Anyway, some of them was like, the first obstacle was like two weeks before I was to move to California. My mom, my mom had passed, passed away and it was, she had been um, suffering from cancer for a couple of years and it just um, on and off, she had it and then she recovered, then she had it again. And it was a, a bit of a shock. But and my, my cousins and family wanted to know, what are you going to do? And um, I, there was as hard, as difficult as it was to carry on. I, I'm like, what, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to go. She would want me to go. This was, she was looking forward to flying to California with me to make sure I was all right. They wanted to meet Dawes Butler and make sure I'd never even been on an airplane before for crying out loud. It's like, this was a whole new, just like an environmental shock to my, to my system from Ohio, not such a small town, but small enough Kettering, Ohio, and then moving to freaking Los Angeles. Are you kidding me? It's a nightmare. So, um, so I did it and really didn't know anybody. Um, that was the first obstacle. And then career wise, once I got rolling, Another thing came up that was quite a challenge today. I consider it the the biggest challenge that I had to overcome was when um, Chris Cavanaugh, who was the voice of Chucky, uh, decided to retire and they didn't want to retire the show. They wanted to keep the show going. So I got a phone call and they wanted me to be the voice, the replacement voice for Chucky. And I'm like, oh man, that is opening up a lot of criticism and a lot of judgment and going into a family that was already established because they'd been doing it for eight years, something like that, um, eight, nine years. And here it is, uh, me coming in. And I did not know that I could do Chucky's voice. So I worked my ass off. I, I hired the director who'd been working with all these actresses all these years and we worked specifically, and I said, send me an audio tape and the script to that tape so I can just start to mimic her. And I just put the hours in, and he kind of guided me. And um, I, I was hired for the job, but it was sort of they were still judging me to see if I if I could hold my own. And it was a little tough going into that room because these these other actresses, here I am, brand new on the scene, and their friend is gone. And how do you deal? How, how, do, how are they going to deal with this? So I said to the producers on my own, I said, look, I think it'd be best for everybody if just for this first year, first season or whatever, let me do this by myself. Just do solo sessions with me. I, I want to get my confidence up. I want to really deliver the goods. I feel like I'm holding everybody up by having to repeat some lines again and do it at another take. Let's just do me separate. They, thank goodness, they said, absolutely, it's not a problem. And then I said, by the way, I'm going to do this for a year. But if Chris decides she wants to come back, she's got one year. I'll do it and I'll keep, keep Chucky's little boots warm for him. But if she wants to come back, she's got 365 days to do it. But if she comes back on day 366, it's too late because then I will have put my little voice print onto that character and I can carry on. But I wanted them to know that and I wanted the other actresses to know, too, that I wasn't stealing anything from her, that this was a a business decision. But I'm going to make it make it so that everybody has the opportunity to get whatever they can out of this. And how did it end? Did she come back or did 
that was it. That was the beginning for you. No, that was that was it. And uh, and I've done it ever since. And that was I got the part like in two thousand three, and I did it for eight years. And now we're back again. It's rebooted, and all the original actresses are they all got their parts again. And it's that's well, a trip, man, because we're all in our fifties and sixties, and we're all doing these these voices of these babies. And it is it is a man. That show is adorable. It is so cute because now it's like the kids that were, it's, it's kind of like the Simpsons. It's multi-generational because you got, we were playing to a certain public and now the kids, the, the children that watched the show that were fans of the show that were four, five, six, seven, eight years old. Now they're parents and they have kids that are now three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old. So it's like, kind of like wearing a different, from a different perspective, but it's like it goes on and it's, it's amazing to me. And the scripts are written so cleverly that there are messages that the children would not understand. And there's also messages that, uh, and, and storylines that the kids do understand. And it's 3D animation. It's really adorable. Very different than The Simpsons. Very different. I love it that these two shows are, you know, they're, they're dinosaurs, man. They're hanging in there. And I just love that I can keep doing it. And now I'm producing shows. I've got a couple animated projects that uh, I may have to come back down the road in a couple years when uh, these things are established and they're on, on uh, you know, across the uh, platforms, but I'm developing some animated projects and some live action projects and they're very aligned with another goal that I have, which is to put some truth out there in terms of like, you know, some truth regarding our culture and um, people are struggling. And a lot of the stuff that I see out there is they're, they're, they're rough, they're rough around the edges and they're sometimes tough to look at because people are struggling and, and, uh, their morality and their their ethics are a little questionable. And so what I like to do is put a little bit of truth in there to, to give some hope that there is a better future, you know, with what we got going on. And one of these projects is out there right now. And we just found out that through IMDb, it was rated their number three film in January. Um, and it's called Borrego, which means sheep. Meh. You know, that people are like sheep. And it's live action. It's gritty. It's an action thriller. It's not anything that you would think Nancy Cartwright would be doing. But it's got a message in there that I'm passionate about. And it has to do with, well, it's a, it's a little bit, it's, 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 it's about the drug cartel and the mules that are not hired, but they are at gunpoint they are enforced and kidnapped and enforced to bring the drugs from Mexico into the United States. And if they don't do it, they will be killed and their families will be killed. And there's a segue into prescription psychotropics and prescription opioids. And it's, um, and this, this is, is all where, true or it's fiction. Yeah. No, no, this is, well, the, the movie, the movie is fiction, but but the story itself is based on facts. And when you see it, you'll see some some little quotes that are at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film that give some astonishing quotes about about these prescription opioids and, and ties the whole thing together. And it's alarming for people that don't have the truth about the egregious side effects of prescription um, drugs that are being given to their children without them knowing these, the side effects that are there. Yeah. That's a mouthful. That's incredible. This is, this is intense. You know, I, I touch on that in, in, in the book. There's, there's, and it's just, it's a light touch in the book. And if people are interested in finding out more about it, they can certainly go to the no more about drugs website and find out more about it. And the whole idea is just to enlighten parents about the, FDA's medication guides that show the egregious side effects. It's kind of like, no, be educated so you can find out and then have a, have a sane 
educated conversation with your doctor to find out what's the best way to help your child. For sure. I mean, I I have spoken to some health practitioners on this podcast and always encouraging people, don't just do what the doctor told you, do the research. And there's always an alternative method. The drugs don't have to be the solution. So I I wholeheartedly echo and agree with what you're saying. So before we wrap, I love to ask all my guests two questions. What is one piece of advice you'd like to relay to my listeners, whether it was hard won by you or given to you by another that you'd like to pass on? And the second (laughs) one before you answer that is, what would we be surprised to know about you? A quirk, a habit, something embarrassing, funny, (laughs) you name it. Okay, let's see. So one at a time, let's see, hard advice. I think if you don't have an agenda, what are you doing? I mean, you you got to have a reason. It's like you don't just, I, even if it's something simple, I want to entertain people. I want to make somebody laugh. Good. But 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 establish like a viewpoint. Have a viewpoint, you know, and, and, and speak from that viewpoint in all things that you do. And then you, you, you will eventually be, be heard. And then as far as the other one goes, you know what? Yeah, you know, this is something that I think I might have only said it like one other time. But it's a little habit that I have, and it's, it, I only do it when I'm at home, and that sounds horrible. It sounds like I'm leading up to something very kind of, ooh, uh, this sounds kind of risky and, and perverse, but it's like, I like to lick my plate. I'm sorry, but if I'm making the food, and it is all the juices and the salts, and it's savory and stuff, I've got great great dishes, and man, I, 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 that's, that's what I love. You can have the last bite, but I get to lick the plate. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, my God. You're amazing. Thank you for coming on today, and you're such a breath of fresh air and incredible energy, and thank you for what you're doing to help protect our kids, because we didn't touch on it, but I know you do. A lot more. The billboards in LA, you know, there's so much that you do to get the word out there about children and drugs. So thank you. You are so welcome. Rebecca, this has been a pleasure. I like, I like, uh, I like sharing and it's, it's been a treat talking to you. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Nancy. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithms. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again, and you will hear from me next week.